Welcome to Bible Greek VPod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 10. In this lesson, you will learn the adjective, and then we will look at 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, the things of the world. First, let's look at the adjective. An adjective modifies a noun or substantive. When I say a substantive, essentially that's a, a, a noun, something that acts like a noun. A participle might be a substantive. As such, the adjective must agree with the noun it modifies in three ways. First, with a gender, then in number, and then finally in case. The word adjective comes from the Latin adicacare, meaning to throw to or to add to what has been said. Dr. Young provides an excellent introductory remark concerning the adjective in his intermediate grammar. He writes in Matthew 26, verse 27, the authorized version reads, Drink ye all of it. One might think that Jesus told his disciples to down the entire cup. If so, then the next person would not have anything to drink, since they were all sharing the same cup. The adjective all is nominative masculine plural and modifies the subject. It cannot modify the cup. Thus the meaning is, all of you drink of it. This example serves to illustrate one important usage of the adjective, and that is its fundamental usage as a modifier for the noun. But the adjective can be used in several other ways. Let's take a look at the uses of the adjective as used as a modifier. The primary function of the adjective is to limit or describe a noun it modifies. In this usage, the adjective can be used in the attributive position or in the predicate position. Let's look at the attributive adjective first. An attributive adjective modifies the noun ascribing to it a quality or quantity. An example is ha Agathos Anthropos, the good man. The attributive is of the form adjective plus a nominative. For example, Luke 19 and 17. And he said to him, well done, here it is, good servant. The adjective is good, servant the noun. Good servant, because you are were faithful in a very little, having authority over ten cities. Next, we have the first attributive position. The first attributive position is of the form an article plus your adjective plus the noun. Article, adjective, noun. And the adjective receives greater emphasis. For example, Matthew 4, verse 5 the holy city. Holy is given that emphasis. The second attributive position. The second attributive position is of the form article, noun, article, adjective. Notice that. Article is both with the noun and with the adjective. The noun is out in front. So article, noun, article, adjective. 
In this case, both the noun and the adjective receive equal emphasis. An example is Acts 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Equal emphasis, the Holy Spirit. The third attributive position. The third attributive position is of the form noun plus an article, then the adjective. So, noun, article, adjective. The adjective receives the emphasis. An example is John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. The only begotten Son is that construction. The only begotten receives the emphasis. Next, let us look at the predicate adjective. The predicate adjective makes an assertion about the noun it modifies. For example, hoantopos agathos, or agathos hoantopos, either way you want to take that. The man is good. You have to supply the verb the to-be verb is. The man is good. So here's the predicate position. Context defines the form. James chapter 1, verse 12 is an example. Blessed is a man who endures temptation. You see that? Blessed is a man. It's a predicate position, and the verb needs to be added. The first predicate position the first predicate position is of the form adjective, article, noun. To get the adjective, article, then the noun. The adjective, in this case, is slightly more emphatic than the noun. An example is Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers is that construction. Emphasis is on blessed. Second predicate position. The second predicate position is of the form article, noun, adjective. Article, noun, adjective. Article, noun, then the adjective. The emphasis is placed equally on both the noun and the adjective. An example is John 3, verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. God is true. Your noun and your adjective. God is true. Equal emphasis placed upon both. Sometimes adjectives function independently as a noun. An important adjective that often functions as a noun is agathos, holy. And in the plural, saints. For example, Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from, here it is, the evil one. The evil one that acts as a noun. Sometimes adjectives function as adverbs. The adjectives adon, lupon, markon, manon, halagon, proton can function as adverbs that modify the verb. 
An example is Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, there it is, the adverb. It's an adjective acting like an adverb, uh, an L-Y word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes an adjective can be used as a comparative. And specifically in terms of degree. There are three degrees of the adjective. There's the positive, which is good, the comparative, which is better, and the superlative, best. Now let's move on to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and I hope you've gone to the website and gotten the detailed analysis and have that in front of you. First, the introductory remarks. The Apostle John reemphasizes the holy aspect of the child of God's personal walk with God. This time, pointing out what it means to be set apart from the world and set apart to God. The command to not love the world is directed towards all believers, and it is an application of the love principle of God. One cannot love the world and love God at the same time. The believer has been predestined, he's been called, and he's been justified by God. And as such, it is proper that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, not to the world. We are to be in the world but not of the world. You've heard that popular expression. There has been some throughout church history who have separated themselves from the world in an aesthetic lifestyle, shut off from the world in monasteries. These are the monks of old, of the Middle Ages. The aesthetic life is not what God has designed. In their effort to separate themselves from the world and all the things of the world, they have taken away the physical. But it is the spiritual separation that God has in mind. If you take away the physical, there's still the inner man, the spiritual, the pride of life that serves to drive man in his sin. Asceticism encourages a double standard with the idea of a spiritual elite set above others, not set apart from the world. They abstain from certain things considered acceptable to God and add extra requirements upon themselves and upon others. They become legalistic and elite, boasting in themselves. Conversely, John clearly warns here against practicing fleshly or worldly acts. There are some apparently in the church that accepted the idea that they could practice what the Bible would consider sinful acts. But the Greek culture and its inherent Gnosticism perverted the distinction of good and evil. Some in the church holding to the Gnostic belief considered themselves to have reached such an an advanced stage in spiritual experience, they call that maturity, that they were beyond good and evil. Can you imagine? They maintained that they had no sin, not in the sense that they had attained some moral perfection, but in the sense that 
what might be sin for people at a lesser mature stage. You see that elitism? At a lesser mature stage of inner development was no longer sin for the completely spiritual man. You see that spiritual elitism there? John gives us an application of the love principle here. The temple in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God. It was holy. And those entering were required to perform a purification rite in order to be in the presence of God. The common cannot enter into the presence of God without a covering, a separation between the profane and the holy. In the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And since the Holy Spirit is God, we have become the temple of God. And the same principle applies. Worldly ways cannot coexist with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the command to love God, not the world. The rhetorical question might be raised, how can a Christian give up fellowship with God and go back to fellowship with the world? Dr. Linsky, in his commentary, has this quote, What I love, to that my soul clings. What I love is what I live. What I delight in, and this becomes part of my unconscious life, of my meditation, my dreaming. What I love becomes more and more part of my very self. He who loves the world becomes worldly, a man filled with the world. This quote reminds me of what my father would tell me when I was growing up. His simple wise saying was this, What you think upon grows. In other words, what you spend your time on will define who you are, and your knowledge of whatever it is that consumes you will increase. You will become more experienced, learn more about, and be defined by what you spend your time on. Let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 15. The first phrase. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. The command is given in the negative, may, not, and is translated in the normal emphatic fashion in the English as do not love. The subject includes all of them as a plural imperative of agapo, uh, a present active imperative, second plural, you all love is used. They are not to love the world, what in the Greek is called the cosmos. And here it has that definite article, the world, the ornament, the decorations, or uh, in some instances, circle of the earth. The word refers primarily to order in the sense of an arrangement. The Greeks use the word to describe the universe and the observable order of it. That is to say, of the universe as the earth and all the other planets making up the universe, and listen to this, its everlasting constitution. You you hear that, that Greek philosophy embedded in that world, that everlasting constitution, the eternal, uh, eternal matter. 
but they also use the word to describe the philosophical sum total of everything here and now. The word is used in the sense of a grouping, a metonymy. A metonymy is a word used to describe the sum total of what it is associated with. For example, you could have the animal world, or the world of the Jews, or or Rome, which would be represented as a sum total of all those things Roman. Either today we would say Roman Catholic. If you mentioned Rome, the first thing you would think about is those things that define Roman Catholicism. The Pope, and that's the heart, the seat of Roman Catholicism. In, in Jesus' day, that would be Rome, the heart, the seat of law, culture, government, authority. That's how the world would be used for them. These groupings may be uh, of three types. One is by kind, that is human versus animal, or earthly versus heavenly. Uh, secondly, by race, Jew versus Gentile, or something like that. And finally, by quality, good versus evil. The word is commonly used in the metaphorical sense of earth and all the things that make up the affairs of the earth, the desires, the pleasures, the good and the bad that make up the activities of men that are alienated from God. There is a moral sense. It is in this sense that John makes a clarification. He says, nor the things of the world. And the reference to the carnal characteristics that make up the world. The particle mede, and not, or but not, is combined with the plural definite article ho, accusative neuter plural, the things that are positionally in the cosmos. It's made clear by the use of the definite article, which stands all by itself, that the previous reference, note the accusative points out the direct object, which is plural here. But it is a singular accusative, the world. So it, it seems to emphasize those things of the world. That the, the, the word world is used in the sense of the earth and all the things that make up the affairs of the world the desires, the pleasures, the good the, and the bad that make up these activities of men that are alienated from God, and in particular in opposition to God. The world that was created by God and called good has been separated from God at the fall of man. Its corruption, described by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, is seen in the phrase creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The Greek phothero means to corrupt or to destroy. The result of the fall is catastrophic for the world. At its core is a corruption that has affected everything in the earth and its ruler is Satan whose Deceptive influence serves to heap up destruction in his path. 
John is moving to the point where he will say the world lies in the grip of the evil one. He comes to that in chapter 5. This grip Satan has upon the earth can be summarized by the statement the Lord gives to Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, he says this, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So we find Peter uses this imagery in First Peter, when he says that Satan prowls the earth like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is sin personified. The next phrase, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world system is so offensive to God that he will destroy it someday. The completion of this world will come to its end at the end of the millennial kingdom, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, and then the purifying of the earth will complete its renewal, and it will become an everlasting place of holiness. That's what's described in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. John introduces us to the principle of the holiness of God by use of the conditional conditional conjunction ain, if, or in case, anyone might love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. There is a separateness associated with the things loved. If you are loved of God, you are set apart to God, separated from the world and placed in a special relationship with him, that must not be defiled by the profane, to be corrupt by the world system. The subjunctive of agapo, the present active subjunctive, third person singular, to love, is a third class condition. The condition expresses probable future fulfillment based on the condition. The meaning is this. If you keep on loving the world, then... The Father's love is not possessed within you. This might be viewed as a condition of reflection. If the child of God is in the word of God, then he or she will reflect the word, and hence do the will of God through both love and deed. However, if the child of God desires the things of the world, then the child will reflect the things of the world. That is the principle of reflection. Whatever enters a man will be reflected back to some extent. The love here is specifically related to this subject of the phrase, the cosmos, with that definite article. Again, the world, that definite article points out a distinction there with the world. Love is used in both the verb and the noun bringing out the importance of the subject in action and deed, in striking contrast to the action of the individual who, with the present verb, continues loving the world, the negative, ou, is placed with the to-be verb, and the noun, agape, the love, 
This person does not possess a controlling presence of the one that created the world. Did you get that? The person described here does not possess a controlling presence of the one that created the world. God sent his son, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, into the world so that the love of the Father might be in those who have been set apart. The love of the Father involves a love for the world that is properly his. He is actively working in the world, but is not of the world. He brings salvation to those who are lost in the world. This is brought to light by Jesus when he says in John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's move to the next phrase. Uh, verse 16. The things of the world are defined here. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the, the first uh, phrase there, the Apostle John now describes the world and its characteristics in verse 16 starts with a result clause. The hoti, it's because or since, some translate that for. The reason the love of the world is hated so much by God is because all that is in the world is not of the Father. It's an idiom for not possessed of God, or one could say is rejected of God. John summarizes the problem of the world in a threefold literary gem. First, the adjective is the neuter singular apos. It's accusative neuter singular, meaning every individual thing found in the worldly realm is not found in God's realm. Namely, the epithumei, the, uh, the nominative feminine singular with definite article, desire, the desire, the cravings, or the lust of the flesh is identified. That's, that's a compound word from epi over and thumas. It's a passion or heat. It's an it's a overpassioned a lust in the flesh. The word for flesh in the Greek is sarx and has the meaning of the, in the physical sense, the soft substance of the living body or just the body in general, but is also used metaphorically of natural attainments of man apart from divine influence. Something that is prone to sin and opposed to God. Most importantly, it's always seen as opposed to God in the metaphorical sense. In the New Testament, the word is contrasted with the spirit, the, uh, the animal na nature, the seed of sin in man, it suggests the depravity of man, the baseness of man, the cravings that incite one to sin. So the expression of a fleshly mind is used. Then the lust of the eyes. 
The second characteristic of the world is expressed using the same word for desire as before, epithumei, the desire, the cravings, or the lust. The word is not a verb, but it is a noun with the definite article, as if what is described is personified. A believer should not let the desire of the flesh rule over them. That picture of Genesis uh, chapter 4, and that animal prouncing is, is just brought to light here. But instead, since there is a new relationship with God, and you have been bought out of the slave market of sin, you yourself should rule over that evil desire. And of course, you cannot do that apart from God. Here, sin is related to those things that appeal to the eye. Uh, we get the English uh, optics from this word. As usual, the word has the normal physical meaning of the eye, but is used in the metaphorical sense of the eyes of the mind and uh, expresses an ethical quality to its context. In this sense, the physical organ that is common to everyone can be used for good or evil. It can be used for desiring the things of the world and the power of the world that causes one to move away from the things of God and move to the profane. The things of the world are attractive to the eye they are desirable, even irresistible to the unprotected, and the lust of the eyes move in man to covetousness and materialism. Move to the next phrase. And the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. John completes his three-part literary description of what captivates the will of man, by pointing out the highest point last, the pride of life. Ultimately, the aletsanai, the boasting, the pride of bios, of the life. Definite article is placed in both of them. The boasting of the life comes down to exalting self over all. The word for pride is only used two times in the New Testament. In one instance, the meaning is an insolent and empty assurance that trust in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and moreover violates divine laws. In another instance, the meaning is an impious and empty presumption that trust in the stability of earthly things. Notice the word for life used here is not the common word for life, zoe. Zoe means life in the absolute sense as God has it. But the word used here is bios, which means life in the here and now, a, a manner of life, life in regard to its moral conduct, and the means of life, the livelihood, the maintenance maintenance and living of it, what has been called the pretension of human life, that which is a proud way of life, 
it is important to add that these things have no place in the presence of God. So John adds this negative particle, not, which points out the non-existence of those things which God the Father, since they are not ek, from him, the preposition being a single case preposition in the ablative meaning, source, or origin. As such, it is clear that these things do not originate from God, but rather they originate from the cosmos, the world. Finally, verse 17, the world is passing away, and the world is passing away and the lust of him. Most translate the lust of it. That masculine there of the world is is brought out there. Indeed, John adds, the world, cosmos, is continuing to pass away. The present tense speaks of the continuing activity of this corrupt world's passing. The passive voice speaks of the action as actively passing away by an external agent. The word comes from the verb periago, present passive indicative third person singular, to pass by, to pass away, and is derived from the compound para, from or by, and ago, to lead, uh, to, to take with one, and expresses the idea that it is being led away. The conjunction chi in the definite article serves to stress the relationship between the world and the lust that is the engine that drives sin within it. Lust is again used as a noun, epithumai, and it has a definite article, that desire, that lust, the lust. Both the world and the lust are identified as the subjects and partake in that which is passing away. Finally, the use of the personal pronoun atos. It's a genitive masculine singular, him. Points back to the previous reference and most translate it. The sense is that the world is passing and when it finally goes, so does the lust. The world and all that is in it Both are passing away now and continues to pass, but will eventually completely pass, and the lust thereof with it. God has a plan. He is the author of history, and he will make all things new. The next phrase. But he that does the will of God remains into eternity. In contrast to the ethical behavior of the world are those who do the will of God. Those who are of God and actively do the will of God are described as remaining with God forever. That is the distinction between those who are perishing, those separated from God, and those who are possessed of God and will remain with God. The participle is in the present tense of pueo, present active participle, nominative masculine singular with the definite article to make or to do, is translated the one that does, or he that continues to do, as that present tense brings out. 
and is actively doing the theomai, the will or the choice or the desire of God. The question might be asked, how does one know the will of God? The answer is given by John as, do his commands. Very simply, do his commands. In 1 John 2, verse 3. And the first command is to love your God with all your heart, to be separated unto God, to be holy, for he is holy. Separate yourselves from the world and the desires of the world and separate yourselves to God and desire to please him and you, minnow, remain or abide. It's a present active indicative. You continue to remain or abide with him in an active relationship and an active fellowship into the ion, eternity or forever or the age to come. I love that word, ion. The word for eternity means an unbroken age. And just as there is a distinct separation between those in the world and those separated from the world, there is here presented an everlasting separation. The everlasting state of eternity awaits all. Those in the world await eternal punishment. Whereas the children of God await eternal life with him. Those awaiting eternal punishment await darkness and the wrath of God forever. Those who have eternal life are said to abide in his light, his goodness and presence. This world and all the pain experienced in this world is passing and the age to come will experience a distinct separation where sin and its effect, all its pain, will be separated from God and will no longer mingle in a world where God exists. His presence will demand a sinless abode and all that is in it. We will join him there because Jesus bore the sins of the world. May God bless you with these words. Go translate the next verses, verses 18 through 23, and come back for the next lesson.